Hello everybody and welcome and this is the Midnight McBride Show, episode number 34 and I've called this show Dealer to Healer and the reason is I've got Liam Brown in the studio and Liam is a healer, author, actor, musician and also co-founder of Yoga Rave. All right Liam. All right, mate. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. Good. Looking, looking brilliant. Delighted you come down today to do the show. And yeah, I read your show notes to start with. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to Jenny Berry because Jenny put us in touch. And although I actually was aware of you, I didn't yeah. know you, I hadn't really been in touch with you, but I'd seen a, a, some of your social media. But yeah, Jenny's been on the show and she's a, a poet, which you're mm. also a poet. Yeah. And Jenny puts in touch, I'm going to do another show with Jenny coming up because Jenny is now releasing a book. Also, yeah. she's doing a book of poetry, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, so, she read us one of her poems at the cacao ceremony last, was it last week or the week before? It was a beautiful poem, but she said like yeah. the ceremony actually give her a kick up the arse she needed to really get the book published. Yeah, well, Jenny said that the cacao, she came and did a, a ceremony with you yeah. and she said it was amazing, you know, she mm put me in touch with you after that, you know, and said we should hook up. So yeah. when I read your show notes, Liam, and I went through everything, it was like reading my own story. There was so many similarities, just mm. to name a few. Drugs, heavily involved in our lives, both taking them and, you know, selling them at a younger age. So mm. we've both been down that road. Also being an author, a successful author as mm. well. Also, you're on a spiritual journey using yoga and meditation and things. You've had a nervous breakdown as well. You've been an actor. And each stage of your journey, as I went through it, I went, well, if I hadn't done those exact things at certain times in your life, yeah. I'd sort of been down a very similar path, you know. Mm -hmm. And as we go through your life story and your journey to this present moment before we talk about what you're doing now, predominantly yeah. your main thing is Yoga Rave, right, which there's videos on YouTube which uh, look amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and the cacao ceremonies as well. So yeah. we'll talk about those. But as we go through your journey, yeah, I'm going to, I'll talk a little bit as we go through your journey. I'll throw in my 10 pennies worth where I've done the similar things as well, you know. Amazing. Yeah. So Liam, where were you born? I was born in St. Mary's Hospital, 1982, Manchester. Right. So you're 38, which makes you 10 years my junior. Yep. Yeah. 1982, yeah. Yeah. And you've always been a Manchester lad, and we'll, we'll talk about it as well. You're actually in one of the movies that you've done. You were called Manchester. Yeah, the character was called Manchester, and I was yeah. like, read the script, I was like, I've got to get this part. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't get it, though. He said, the accent's not right. Oh, yeah, I was just like, I've got to get this part. But, yeah, I'd done little bits and bobs. You know, I'd been in stuff, I'd little parts in things, but it was the first thing. It was like, I remember even the director saying to me, are you going to be all right, like, being on set every day yeah. for seven weeks? I was like, fucking course I am. This is what yeah. I want to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like... Only met you in person today, but after meeting you, you don't look like much would phase you. You know, you look like you can handle more situations. Yeah, but I think, I think when you're in your 20s, it's more you're blagging it and now I'm just comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Say. It's a process to get to that. You're always worried about what people are thinking in your 20s. Yeah. You always want to impress people. Now it's just like, I'm just doing my shit and I do not care if you like it or not. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, people have said, you know, 
indicated or hinted that, you know, because I do this, that I must think I'm this and that and I love myself. It's exactly the opposite of that. It's because mm. I've accepted to it. I don't think I'm all of those things, but I've just accepted to it. I'm uncomfortable with me. This mm. is what you get. Yeah, and yeah. once you arrive at that place, it's like a big relief, isn't it? It's like, mm. oh, I can just be myself. Totally, you know? totally. Yeah. And that's and that's just the, the but they're the challenges. That's, that's what's set up in life and in the universe to test you about where you're supposed to get to if it was just like everybody you was trying to do something everyone's like oh yeah that's amazing yeah you should do that yeah you should do that like it'd be too easy yeah. you know what i mean you get all this support but it's them it's them obstacles in the you know like the river and it's got the rocks and the yeah. river just meanders around them you've always got to have obstacles but it's like yeah. how do you approach them how do you not let them affect it's, you and hit you it's learning how to navigate isn't it you know totally yeah because yeah. every fa failure is just a process to success basically so. beautiful exactly yeah yeah, the lessons aren't in the days that go perfect. The mm. lessons are in the tough ones, aren't they? You totally, know, when yeah. when life's hard, that's when you learn the most. Mm. I don't need to learn too much more just yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah. It comes it comes in waves, like Ram Dass talks about. You know, yeah. like God, give me more, create, give me more suffering because it it gets me closer to my reality and to you, to this infinite consciousness, this infinite yeah. wisdom that's available to us all. And we have to go through this suffering to get there. You know what I mean? We've both been on a similar path. We've both had to go through a lot of suffering to get there. And it's it's worth it. It was like, in the end, it's like, yeah. come on, yeah. But there's been a bit of a, a couple of close calls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you think, I might not make this, but... Totally, yeah. 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 So, as a child, your upbringing, right from the offset, was, was a bit traumatic. You had Irish parents that came to uh, this country. Irish dad, like my dad's yeah, side's Irish, yeah. yeah. Same with my, my yeah. father and my family. I were Patrick Joseph McBride mm. from Donegal, you yeah, know. Yeah. And they came over here, but your your father was violent, is that correct? Yeah, he was violent in his first marriage and then he met me mum while he was still in his first marriage and uh, right. left his two sons behind and got with my mother um, was having an affair for a few years. Just all loads of toxic, kind of like, yeah. not good energy going into a relationship. Not cool on both parts, because my mum was aware of the, you know, the marriage that he was already in. Um, and then, yeah, I got brought up in into that. Obviously, I'd, having um, a brother at the time that probably resented me a lot, because his mother would have resented me a lot, because... There was resentment there. My other, the other brother, he was a little bit older, kind of loved me like a brother, which was, which was amazing because he was a bit older. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. But it was still, it was still, just always, always difficult, difficult situations growing up. And I think all, all the time there was, there was always people they didn't speak to people. There was always violence. There was always dramas yeah. going on. Yeah. And I was always felt like I was in the middle of it. You know what I mean? And so you actually spent your fifth birthday in a. Battered Wives Institute in Hume, is it? In Hume, yeah. It's yeah. not there anymore, actually. Um, but we, yeah, my mum finally left my dad properly and we got housed in the Battered Wives Institute. I think we was maybe there for five months, six months living yeah. there. And so we, get, we got housed in, in Withinshaw. This is a funny story with this, go on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, your mum blagged the house. So yeah, my mum basic. so basically if you're a single mother with a child, you get put into a flat, which in them areas are full of 
smack and crackheads mainly we just call yeah. them smack flats which you don't really want to get put into especially with a young kid and you're not my mum my mum didn't even drink my mum wasn't a drinker um so basically she blagged the housing my uncle came into the housing with her and pretended to be a boyfriend so, <laughs> so we blagged the housing and we got a free bed a free bed semi and within short which That's was brilliant good. <laughs> which was like the wild wild west like i'd never I loved it. I loved living in Withinshaw. Yeah. I loved the freedom and the wildness of the kids, which yeah. I didn't really have anywhere else that I'd ever lived before. You know, you just went out in the street. I think in your show notes, you refer to it as the jungle. Yeah, Withinshaw yeah. jungle. Yeah, I find a lot, you know, a lot of places like that um, that I've travelled to in all over the world, I, I sometimes feel that like they're the places with the most life, you know, they feel the life there. I feel that people are alive, and there's there's less fear, and yeah, the, yeah, there's and well, there's be, and there's more laughter. There's definitely more connection and community. Yeah, you know, people talk to the neighbours, and everybody knows everybody, mm. and all the kids play out in the street together, and you know, there's definitely a lot of pros in mm. those places. That's yeah. what I find in India when I, when travelling in India. You look at the shanty towns, and it's like you know, just kids like gleaming smiles playing in yeah. and it's just they're just in squalor yeah. you know what i mean they're in total squalor but they're enjoying it they don't know anything else and they're allowed to be free whereas you go to the middle class places in india and these you know guarded gates and exactly. the, you're like where are the kids yeah. playing and these there's a fear of what's out there and when you're in that when you're in the shanty towns there's no fear of anything yeah the primary concern is food everything exactly. else is a yeah, laugh yeah, yeah. isn't it after that yeah. I went to Mumbai and then down to Gujarati and beautiful people and some of the happiest people I've mm. encountered have nothing. They have nothing. Totally, so yeah. they're not consumed with worrying about losing the material possessions they have. The less you have, the more you see. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So you also said that a big passion of yours when you were young was football. Mm. Now, that watching it, playing it, you're a bit of a sport, Billy. Everything. Yeah. Everything, cricket, football. I watched. I, wa I used to watch everything on TV. I did athletics um, at school. Football was obviously my main passion. That's what like what I wanted to be when I grew up, and that's yeah. played for the school teams, uh, captained all my other teams. Like it was just, I was just obsessed, and then kind of carried on until. I guess probably since until I went to uni when I was like 23 or something, yeah. 22, 23, and I moved to London and I stopped playing football um, and just started partying, going yeah, raving. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you got a, a girl pregnant along the way when you were, <laughs> where you were a mere 13, is that right? I was 30, I was 14. I don't think I, I lost my virginity till I was 15 or 16. Yeah, it was mad, man. Yeah. It was like not long after I lost my virginity and I got a girl pregnant and that kind of like... She got rid of the baby. Um, she was 13. Yeah. Um, and obviously like, yeah, I don't, I, it, it, it's mad now to think about it. Like I would have a kid that's what, 20 summer? Yeah. Uh, 20, 24. I'd have a 24 year old. I'm just like, I'd have an adult. Like yeah. that's part of me, boy. Your journey would have been very different then, wouldn't it? I would, I would imagine yeah. so. Who knows? Yeah. He, he might have got me there quicker. He might have got me there slower. You know, there's lots of situations where if it stayed in Manchester, working as a window fitter, I'd have a house and I'd have a secure thing, and I'd have maybe yeah, I'd yeah, have yeah. a wife and a few kids. But would I be happy? Probably no, I wouldn't be. No. Um, I'd still be going in the pub with my same mates that are yeah. still all going in the same pub. Yeah. Yeah, I like in the show notes, 
used the term snagging. And, <laughs> and I thought, because I'm, I'm not down with the kids, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not street. And I thought that was like a, a term, a Manchester term, you know, I'm going snagging girl like pulling on the pool. But what you meant was shagging. Shagging girl and shagging. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a, a big pastime of yours then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Google think, predicts must have young, picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> A young lad going out, you 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 know you buzz off. You go and meet new new girls and kissing them and whatever. It's yeah. I think especially with like in a football environment where you've got your like the young lads coming through and you sort of what will impress the older guys. You know what I mean? And then you go out after the match on a Saturday and after after the match on a Sunday and you start doing coke and these yeah. girls about and you want to be the you want yeah you want to be the big man. I was kind of good at. I was yeah. good at we're good with women, like yeah. it's kinda like a bit of a family trait and just wanted that adulation in you know, yeah. I wasn't the best footballer in the world, but I was better out at the night time, do you know? What yeah. I, mean? I I was never the best looking guy, but I was always I was confident. Yeah. Very confident when I was younger and probably quite strong willed. And I think, yeah, I never had any Trouble chatting up girls, mm. pulling girls, you know, that kind of thing. I'd even say I was a womaniser for quite a while, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I, I was, but I wasn't confident. I was always scared. Oh. Unless I was really pissed and high. Yeah. I was, I was. But I was always pissed talk. and high. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right, man. It's a good starting place. Yeah. <laughs> but I was also a massive show off as I got older, you know. We'd go in a, a nightclub. I wouldn't go anywhere if I wasn't letting on the door. I would never yeah. queue. And I was going to VIP areas. And I'd have five or six bottles of champagne, a big pile of cocaine. Everybody come back to mine party. Mm -hmm. And that's how it went down for a long time. Yeah. You know, I thought I was King Dick, you know, yeah, yeah. King of the Hill. And in reality, I was living a lie because I was miserable. You know, it was a coping mechanism. I was that miserable mm -hmm. that I just wanted to forget about the world. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you think that's bringing you happiness because in yeah. the moments you feel like you're well, happy. You're comfortably numb, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. But then what you've got to do is get get comfortable in this moment you know without exactly, yeah. all the narcotics and drugs you know? but I don't know if what it was like for you like growing up but it, for me that that was the only option available there didn't seem to be other paths or other things to do it well, was like you went and played football and you went and got fucked afterwards yeah most people won't talk about it one or two will and I've, I've had a few people on the show that'll talk about mm. it but Pretty much without exception, you know, all my mates, everybody I knew, I'm not naming anybody, and, and there were exceptions, mm -hmm. but pretty much everybody, we took drugs, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in the 60s and 70s they were drinking beer or, or you know, if they mm -hmm. were going to festivals, they were maybe having LSD. In the 90s and 2000s, we are having coke and having pills and having amphetamine. And exactly, that's what yeah. everybody did, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I remember my mum find it out and she's and I was like, everyone does it. No, they don't. No, they don't. I was like, everyone, everyone I know. I said, except there was one one of my mates, Tom, who didn't. Because yeah. he was he was like, I think he was at Oldham at the time or something, playing football, and he, he didn't. And uh, that was the I was like, it's the only one that doesn't do it, it's Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was your mum's favourite after that. Yeah. <laughs> and he was everyone's Get Tom favorite round anyway. Yeah. He was a good uh, lad. <laughs> so you actually went to college, Liam. Yeah. You've been in and out of different colleges, haven't you? You've been um, back and forward. Starting yeah. with uh, Daniels. Ridge Daniels. I went yeah. to Ridge Daniels College, like sort of natural path after school, go to college. Yeah. Wasn't enjoying it. Is that like a sixth form college or a... So, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't in, wasn't part of my school. It was kind of like just a norm. I yeah. would class it as a normal college. Um, and then I left after a few months and started working as a cavity wall insulator with my mate, one of my mates from football, just well, you, grafting. You got cash in your pocket then, aren't you? You're a young lad and world's exactly, world yeah. your lobster. 
isn't it? Totally, because even all my mates who were doing apprenticeships, they were getting like 50 quid a week and I was getting about 250 quid a week. Yeah. Which at the time was It was like, a lot of money then. was a lot. Well, when you're living at home and you have to give your mum 20 quid a week or something for yeah, your keep, yeah. it's... Yeah. yeah but then you all, just spend it on booze. Yeah. Fred Perry, Ralph Lauren, Paul, yeah, yeah. Robert, all of it. Gear, all of yeah. it. Henry Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all the names, yeah. But then you went back to college and you you did drama. Yeah. Which has set you on this path, this journey, you know, the start of that. Yeah, I think I think so. I think it um, It's great that you express yourself. Anybody that is in the performing arts and does dance or music or acting, if you can do that and make a living, it's it's great, especially mm. for me, if you play an instrument, you know, because yeah, yeah. if you can, I've been to watch a lot of classical music, chamber orchestras, things like this. And uh, January, at the beginning of this year in January, I took 25, 30 people to watch London Concertante in Manchester mm. Cathedral. And I had the two front rows booked. And if you see somebody performing a piece of music and within that they express their emotion, even though it's, mm. a, set, it's a set piece, you know, a concertante. And they'll perform this piece of music and you listen to it and you can feel the emotion mm. expressed by playing that instrument. They become one. It's a yeah, beautiful yeah. thing to watch when you see somebody at yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know, level. Yeah, because yeah, I've always tried to play, the, I've tra been trying to play the guitar for years. It's never happened. But then recently I've been doing like a little bit more shaman training and I've been playing a, just a shamanic, it's just called a buffalo drum. Yeah. It's a vegan one. <laughs> but... Um, I just feel connected to it. And when I play it, like, and yeah. people just go, oh, I, I sounds was, very was, powerful. I, isn't it? Yeah. They say yeah. I was mesmerized by you and I just get into it. It's like start and you hold it onto your heart and you sort of connect with the instrument and then just let it go. And I was like, I don't even know how to play it. I just play it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've played it before. I've been given some songs and stuff and some rough little yeah. beats, but I just smash it and people, feel it in the in the sound healing yeah. as a sound healing really some it's of, like some of the people the most talented people are people that connect with an instrument and make the most beautiful sounds and music haven't had any formal training mm. they just experience it you know they sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. connect with a, an instrument yeah. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about music, though, isn't it? You don't need a certificate. If you can play and it sounds good. Yeah. It's and like it's, yoga and, and meditation. They want you to have a certificate and shit and stuff, but it doesn't mean I'm a good teacher if I've got no, a certificate. Well, I could be absolutely useless. This is the thing. No Buddhist monks have a GCSE or they haven't been on a two-day meditation exactly. course with a piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, yeah. They've lived it. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. why the begs... The best so I mean, Jesus didn't have a certificate, No, did he? no, I mean, no. Oh, God, yeah, I'm Jesus. Thank, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, for example, like with... Meditation, yeah. I know people that have been away, done a two-day course, come back, and they're a meditation teacher, and that's mm -hmm. fine, and they're probably helping people. But yeah, yeah. the best people are people that have lived, it's been part of the journey. And, for example, the best drugs therapists, although they're drugs counsellors, although they're not supposed to admit it later when they become a counsellor, mm -hmm. have all been drug addicts or had a drug yeah, yeah, problem yeah. or taken a lot of drugs, you know, because mm -hmm. how can somebody, if you haven't experienced that, how can you help anybody else? You need to yeah, yeah. work your way through it find a way to survive it and mm. then share that with the, the people. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. You? That's what Tony Robbins says on like a lot of his things when he's, you know, doing his thing on a person and then he goes into their background, the people with the most horrific backgrounds, like, wow, you have got so much like potential to heal other people. Yeah. who have been in difficult yeah. situations now. Like, yeah, you've got to eradicate, you've got things you've got to learn and, uh, 
context that you've got to change, but you've got to now yeah. feel right. Okay, I've got this positive life experience. Well, negative that yeah. I can turn into a positive. You know I, what I mean? I, I've said on a number of shows, one of the greatest things we can do as a human being is to go through a bad experience mm. and then turn that into a positive, helping other people. Exactly. If you can do that, that's pretty much that's your job. Mm. You know, that's what totally, we're born yeah, to do. Yeah, you know, yeah. and experience joy and bliss. Yeah, then you can go back and go, actually, that was a good experience. Yeah. It's like, get rid of the bad and, and good and, I know and bad. Why. It's like, I, understand. I know why that was yeah. to lead me here. It's like but, a nervous breakdown. I thought it was the end of the world at the time, and now I know that it saved my life. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you don't know that at the time. Yeah. You know? When someone rings me now and they're telling me, oh, fuck, I'm like, yes, <laughs> me, you can only come up now. It's amazing. <laughs> but it's all the great things that are going to happen to you. Just uh, yeah. stay with it. <laughs> So you're back at college and you're doing drama yep. and then you start drinking a lot. And this is the beginning, is this the beginning of your partying or is it really kicking at uni? I think my partying started as soon as I started drinking, as soon as you're at yeah. school and you were getting people to buy your booze. Like all you wanted to do was get fucked every weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess like when I, when I started college, yeah, it was predominantly, it was predominantly drinking, going yeah. to the pub, drinking, like drinking in the days. Then... I think, I think it was when I got a car, actually. I started taking ecstasy because yeah. I was like, I can't drink and drive, so I'll just take pills. <laughs> <laughs> Which at the time, I don't think you could get done for it then, no, could no, you? I don't think you could back then. Well, no, yeah. It's like anything. They've got to develop something to test you for it once they know it yeah, exists. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. you've got like a one or two year window to <laughs> take the piss, haven't you? <laughs> like my dad and my stepdad used to tell me about when they drink and they drive, like get leathered well, and go 60s, and drive. In the 60s, you know, there was a, Certainly, for a good while, there was no such thing as drink driving. Yeah, you yeah. were just, especially a lot of people, if you knew the police officer, just say, come on, on your yeah. way. And there wasn't that much traffic on the road, was there? Like, yeah. It wasn't like it is today. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, that law didn't get passed until much later, you know, in the, six, in the 60s, I think. It was the booze, the boozing from college. Just always, I was just, you're born in a boozing environment. That's, I think, most people in the UK, that's what you do. You get to seven, you get to eighteen, you start going in the pub at the weekend. Yeah. It's like what's what I didn't really know what other options were there for me to do on a Friday or Saturday night. Thirteen and fourteen I started drinking. Fourteen yeah. slash fifteen cannabis. Yeah. Fifteen upwards, then it was trips and mm -hmm. and then came an amphetamine and then ecstasy probably when I was sixteen, seventeen. And, yeah. and that was it. That was I was on it then. Yeah. yeah. We started taking ecstasy and we'd never cuddled each other before, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And it was like it'd always been that kind of shaking hands in a pub. Yeah, yeah. Standoffish and all the macho nonsense. And yeah, yeah. when yeah, I remember going to a club or a rave, certainly in the early days, and yeah, everybody'd be tops off and hugging each other. Exactly, you know? man. It was, it was a lot of positives. Yeah. yeah. And you and you brought up in an environment where the generation before your masculine side, ma males, that you didn't hug. Yeah, yeah. You didn't talk yeah. about emotions or feelings or, or you've, remember me and my cousin resolved something. I was like, I've been upset with you for years. You always bullied me. I mean, I'd said it when I was on ecstasy because I was upset. I, yeah. You know what I mean? And it wouldn't have come out otherwise. I would have just yeah. keep it, kept the it. The walls hidden. come down, don't they? So in this period, Liam, you've, you're studying drama mm -hmm. and you started drinking, you're taking drugs and then you've got an agent and you start getting the acting jobs then. Yeah, little, little bits, yeah. little bits here and there, little things like being on TV, little films and stuff like that. Um, yeah, just kind of, kind of started happening. Um, but I was, you know, I was drinking a lot. I was, yeah, I wasn't, um, I wasn't committed to anything. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I wasn't even hundred percent committed to the acting because I was always, 
oh, why should I put so much effort into something if I might not get the part? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. why should I put everything into this? And I was just enjoying my football, enjoying living in Manchester with my mates, enjoying being at college, then enjoying going to theatre school and being around all these like dancers. He was just like yeah. being kind of like, there was me and one other straight guy, like, <laughs> sweaty, 30 dancers. It was just like, oh, it was like a dream. You know what I mean? How many women though? <laughs> all women all of them bro I don't even think they were, yeah all women it was great but again it was just all just all ego stuff um, all things that I felt that make me feel good and fill in that hole of I think the hole of just like a separation of your parents and the grief you go through and really not knowing exactly where you're going in life or having a support yeah. network behind you that's yeah. kind of positive. My thing growing up was I didn't have a positive male role model. I wouldn't even say I had any positive female role models, maybe more positive than the males, but I wasn't around any empowered women. Yeah. I wasn't in, around any empowered men who were in touch with the feminine side. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, I definitely wasn't around any men that were in touch with the feminine side. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, it was just awkward. I had to figure that out for myself. Mm. You know, I I love, kiss and hug everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, you mm. know. And I think it's a beautiful thing to connect with another human being. Male, yeah, female, yeah. irrelevant. Same hug. I mm. only have one hug and it's, it's the same exactly, only give yeah. to everybody, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think when you are in touch with your feminine side... It's again, it's a big relief, but mm. a lot of the people that I used to knock around with didn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. You know, this male yeah, yeah. macho, and it's hard work to maintain that, it requires a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the barriers, isn't yeah. it? It's putting up barriers all the time. But you know, it's it is amazing to see how so many blokes from that environment who were a generation above me have softened now. Do you know what I mean? We have moved into this yeah. this age of the feminine. We can see how society's changed a lot since the 2000s and especially since 2012 yeah. when we moved into the age of the feminine. Yeah. That it's just, it's, you know, pub shutting down, this old school culture shutting down. Yeah. It's amazing. And I was everything that I now don't want to be. I was, mm -hmm. you know, I was angry. I was aggressive. I was violent. I was this macho thing. Mm -hmm. I was pumped up on steroids. I was, you know, doing MMA, kids fighting, whatever. I was all of those things, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and I had to slowly try and figure them out and dissolve. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, I had a nervous breakdown and that's when everything just stops all at once when you just think, I can't go on. At the time, I thought it was the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the rock bottom moment. That's yeah. You need to get to that rock bottom moment. But, that's why when you've got yeah. a lot of people who are trying to help people all the time, it's like, whoa. Sometimes you're stopping them from hitting rock bottom, and they need to hit rock bottom. You can yeah. support people because um, you can't half do it either. What I found is I had to let go of everything, make some fundamental changes, start from the foundations up, change my social mm -hmm. circles, what I did with my social life. Um, the material I read, what I watched on television, mm. everything, everything had to change because yeah, there were so go. many negative influences in mm. my life. And I was irresponsible. I was letting them in, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that created this really unhealthy environment for my mind. And mm -hmm. 
if this is working right, everything else starts to take care of itself. But when this isn't working right, you've no chance. Yeah, yeah. And getting out of blame, you put loads of people want to blame yeah, everything else. Yeah. And it's like you created your it's own it. reality. Yeah. Blame has no place <laughs> in a healthy mind. That's what exactly. they say, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you then go to Ayanapa on a holiday. Yeah. And you meet, quote unquote, a Norwegian princess. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. So basically, I think it was like, went on a lad's holiday. Yeah. And it was like, 20, 21, something like that. So it's like competitions with girls and stuff. You know what I mean? Who could pull the most girls? Who could sleep with the most girls? Whatever yeah. it was. We I had pretend a, I don't know what you're talking about, but I yeah, do. Yeah, we had yeah. a tally chart and everything. And I like, I'd had two successful first night. Like the first, second night was, was went well. And then third day, we hired scooters. And um, like we all like just over, over the road from our hotel. So we all get on these scooters. And he goes, you know, just have a go in front of us. So you get your scooter, you go down the road, you come back. Yeah. He goes, all right, fine, yeah, you're great. And then is I, this why I, you're hiring him? Yeah, yeah. So I, you didn't smash him up, did you? Let me tell my story. I I, the, only, <laughs> the only reason I'm asking is because we did the same thing. All right. We hired him and we didn't get off the end of the bloody car park. Oh, we no, no. Him up. We, we basically, yeah, everybody did except me. So we've got, I've got, he said to all my mates, oh, he's a natural talking about me so anyway then every we've all got on him after having our little test run and one mate's gone that way and the others have gone that way so then i've turned but for some reason i cut as i was pulling the thing i didn't realize you couldn't break and pull it at the same time you'd yeah. have to let go and then pull the brake i just hurtled into this restaurant wall boom <laughs> smashed into this restaurant wall my helmet must have come off but i'd i then looked down and i've got like a gash like the key I've gone right into the key. <laughs> it's just cut, split me dick. So we mate, we mates come over, all the rest have gone and eventually they're coming round and I'm in a bit of a, a bit like shook up and then the fucking, <laughs> the guy's running down the road from the shop, like, shouting at me and I'm like, oh, I've got, I'm pissing in blood. I've looked down, I'm like, oh no. Oh, split holidays. me dick. Um, so that I'm like, my holiday's over basically. I'm only there to sleep with girls and, you know, go drinking. And, um, so the lads have all come back and they're all taking pictures of it. I'm just like, lie down for a bit. End up going out that night, getting back on the bike, getting used to it properly. And um, that night I met the Norwegian princess. Yeah. So I couldn't obviously do anything, which was probably good because I just filled the red with shit that I was a really nice lad. <laughs> um, and she was, you know, most one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen in my life. We didn't have girls like around where we lived. Yeah. And uh, she kind of looked a bit like um, Helena Christensen. And like yeah. my mates were just like, what? How, how? I was like, I don't know. Maybe it's because <laughs> I've got a cut dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, anyway, stayed with her for a couple of years. But when, when we started having this kind of long, long distance romance, um, it was, I, get, I think it was one of my first awakenings. Yeah. Because I've seen a different culture in their own backyard you know what I mean yeah I'd always been to Spain to Cyprus with English people in other countries yeah. it's nothing different only fools and horses on 24 hours a day yeah. I went to Norway and I'd been convinced that England was the best country in the world and then go to Norway and I'm like that's better yeah. that's better that's better yeah, people yeah, are nicer yeah. like everyone's healthy like there's no fat people there's yeah. no no it doesn't seem as much anger or violence there's yeah. a football pitch and, a, and an athletics track in every small village the yeah. facilities are amazing i was yeah, like why clean. has someone yeah. been blagging my head that this is the best country in the world for my whole life yeah yeah so it woke me up yeah it's eye-opening isn't it <laughs> next level yeah 
I, you do, I think, when you're programmed as a kid, you sort of you look up to your, your role models and you're in the society and you're programmed and moulded. And only when you start to travel and experience different cultures and other places, you think, wow, they, they've got it much yeah, better figured out over here. Exactly. Their way is better. Yeah, yeah. Their way is better. Yeah. You know, and, and it's nothing to do with money. No. Not at all. No. You know, okay, they, they don't have flash houses, they don't have big cars, they haven't got all the designer gear and everything like that. But they, they grow their own food, mm. they're happy, they love each other, they sing and dance on a Saturday night on the exactly, beach or whatever, yeah. and you think, that's better. Yeah, hippies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They don't pursue money and they're not bothered about I'm status really and power. I'm being happy, <laughs> being loving towards each other. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> oh, yes. <sighs> yes. So then, Liam, moving on, you went to London. Yeah. So this point you arrive in london and you're doing a bit of modeling then as well yeah so modeling. i move with the more mo dancers <laughs> yeah a little bit like uh, i think it was the norwegian girl she wanted to study law in london and i'd wanted to move to london to get an agent to sort of commit more to acting but i just never had the bottle because i was attached to my f just my familiarity of my mates yeah. and football that was my life and anyway, she gave me the kind of impetus and we moved down there together. I got an agent pretty soon, started doing more acting and I was and I was modelling more and like being around like ridiculously beautiful women and comfortably getting yeah. naked in front of you, getting changed. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. And then and the then first I, time it's a big deal. And after that you realise actually just it's the body, it, yeah. 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 Like a year later, I was just I looked a mess. I was doing drugs four, five times a week you know yeah. pills ecstasy uh sorry pills mdma coke yeah. ketamine it starts becoming midweek and then and then the coke slips into daytime and it just gets messy on it there's no Very end messy, yeah. and beginning yeah. it's just a blur yeah and i started selling it so i always it was i didn't have a problem with like um you know some some people who would go oh, i couldn't do drugs and have them sat in me drawer you know what i mean i'd have to do them i wasn't like that Mm. I, I could, I, I sold them and I did the bits that I wanted, but I was never going, oh, that's in my drawer. I need to finish that off. Yeah. It's like fucking never finish it, would I? No, so, no. but I knew some people like that and I was like, wow, that's dangerous. I was fortunately not like that. Um, and I left uni with money in the bank, like went traveling every summer. Yeah. Um, had an amazing time, went to festivals all over the music festivals. The, the, the unusual thing about your story is that while you're at uni, you're studying property surveying. And that's the one thing, you read it, and it sort of all makes sense. And then that sticks out. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what the bloody hell are you doing property surveying for? But again, I think you were cajoled into it, weren't you? And encouraged yeah. to go down that path. Yeah, well, I was always kind of in the building trade when I was at home, like my, my stepdad was. And I, it was just like having a Norwegian girlfriend and her parents, like everyone goes to university. Like I wasn't brought up in a, I know like most people go to university now don't they a lot do yeah um, mm. but where I grew up you, you didn't not most people did go to university most people got a job or you went to college and then got a job but yeah. university was kind of like nobody in my family had ever been to university before so it was like 
okay. And they, they were like, you need to have an education if you want to succeed in life, yeah. which is so, bollocks. Did, well, you, they, you need to be educated, but I mean, you don't need uh, gov- government indoctrinated no. education. But the motivation and intention was good. They wanted you to do well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was coming, but, coming from their perspective, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and which is which is fine. So I just did a property, I just chose a property planning and development degree. That one. Yeah, posh. <laughs> but then, you know, most of my friends were doing art, doing yeah. uh, graphics, well, animation. In keeping with everything else in your life. Yeah, yeah but I guess the only other option for me would have been to do drama, but I felt like, I don't know, I just didn't want to do drama. I already had an agent, I was already getting work. Yeah. I didn't feel like I needed to do drama as a as a degree. No. I didn't want to teach it, so. No. So then moving on your journey, the significant event is your mum passing then. Mum died of cancer. Yeah, I think significantly, like, it was, I started selling drugs at university. Mm. A lot of drugs. I was making a lot of money. Um, I was having a great time. Um, You know, I had lots of different women and girlfriends and, like, this adulation, and I was the person that made people dance. Yeah. Um, And then I went travelling in 2007 in the summer, finished uni, spent got a ticket around the world, went and seen some mates, Miami, LA, New York, um, New Zealand. And then I was going to go to India. Yeah. Like my last stop was India. That was the one place that I wanted to go more than anywhere. Yeah. I'd, just, I'd always had it in my head that I wanted to go to India and experience it. Um, and then in New Zealand, got a phone call, your mum's your mum's ill. Yeah. Um, and basically I had to get a flight, flight home. My mum had got, lung cancer and you know we didn't know what was going on it was bad she was having to have chemo and stuff how old was she then 40 no 53 yeah so still she was 53 yeah yeah. well it's perspective isn't it you know she could she could have uh she could have been 16 and lived a fuller life than she'd led you know what i mean yeah it's true um it's it's all it's all perspective i don't get into that sort of age stuff because someone can die at seven and live a fuller life than someone who's 83 Mm. you know what i mean um but yeah what people would say is she was young yeah um and yeah three months three months later wise words that three months later she was dead yeah yeah but that was my bless biggest blessing that's ever happened in my life worst moment in my life Mm -hmm. Biggest blessing, mm. most traumatic experience in my life. Biggest blessing. I, she, I think, cosmically, she died for my awakening, for my growth, for the support yeah. that I'm giving people right now. Yeah. She wasn't ever going to give that in her life. Yeah, you know what the 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 empowerment, the enrichment, the nurturing that I do through my work has come through my mother's death. Yeah, mainly that was yeah. the biggest catalyst. That's such a, a lovely and beautiful message. You're a beautiful man, Liam. Thank you, brother. Yes. <laughs> truly, truly. Thank you. That's another thing that I learned as well. I'd tell a man, you know, that uh, if somebody's beautiful or mm-hmm. they're a beautiful soul or I think what they're doing is amazing. So I had no qualms about expressing that, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and I know a lot of blokes that can't, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, you just... It's a shame. Exactly, <laughs> You've got to figure yeah. it out, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like when yeah. it come in today, I was like, you smell fantastic, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you what it is, yeah. but it's... Uh... If only these... If only the TV had scratch and sniff, man, you could smell how great you smell. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I was yeah. quite... Yeah, flattered. Yeah. yeah. 
So, William, in your show notes, you talk about the fact that luckily you split up with a German girl, but then you met a Greek girl, and and you basically seem to have had a, a list of a girl in every country, you know, and... and European at the time, it yeah. was, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. because, basically, I didn't like Christmas with my stepdad, <laughs> and I wanted to... I've got to... I wait to see how you're going to tie these two together. Well, basically, what it is, is I don't like Christmas. <laughs> I'm like... So well, I was sleeping with a Greek girl. Yeah, yeah, well, no, it was just like I did. I don't like Christmas, but it was like getting to experience Christmas in a different country with you know, yeah. stay with their family, and it was free holidays. Yeah. I didn't have to pay for accommodation when I went to these ah, other countries, yeah, of course, yeah. and actually experience how they a lived. Real, a real Christmas, not just being on holiday and all inclusive at Christmas, but being in that culture. Yeah, being in that culture, like even just them opening presents on Christmas Eve, and I'm like, what? You, what are you doing? Well, you, you can't do that. You open it. Oh, when's, Santa's not even there. Right, he's not when does he come down the chimney? Hey, who's Santa? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, but it was just, it was, yeah, it was, uh, no, it's the way it fell, but I used to just say to people, it's for the free holidays. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Greek girl, you said, save your life. You know, yeah, she, she was, was what angel, you needed yeah. at the time. And I'm assuming you were perhaps on a rocky road and she just... Help you see the light, maybe? I don't know. She was very in her family. She still lived at home. She was 19. She still lived with her mum yeah. and her family. She was very family-orientated. She was very grounded in that. And I was with people at the time who all, none, no one lived at home. We all lived in London. We were all like crazy, yeah. drug-taking, partying. Oh, like, oh, that's all we wanted to do. And then I just met this leathered on a night out just met this angel and all I remember because I blacked out all I remember is just these big brown eyes looking at me when I woke up the next day and I knew I had to there was got to be a, a phone number yeah, in my phone because yeah. I couldn't remember her name nothing I just remember these brown eyes um, and I met her before my mum died but now looking back I know she was the thing that kept me alive after my mum's death because yeah. she was grounded and I had that family thing to go to she reminded you of another way Perhaps, you know, not the party lifestyle. and the, Totally. It was just yeah, easier for me to be. Healthy to be around. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and I I apologise for the way I was with her and her family. Like, it wasn't, I wasn't a great person at the time. Um, and my behaviour was not good. I was still womanising. I was still kind of in that ego thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she was an angel for me and saved my life because I pretty yeah. much think I would have committed suicide. It yeah. was so, I was like... So on that thing of like, if there's any chance my mum is existing in another reality, I want to go there right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the first time that anything thoughts like that had existed because this thing that was the only solid thing throughout my life. Yeah. And that's why sometimes I think it's it can be more difficult for a parent to lose um, for a child to lose a parent than it can for a parent to lose a child because a child's only ever known the parent. A parent has known yeah. an existence before the child. And I know that that fucking is heavy shit, yeah. but I didn't know anything. Yeah. She'd always been there. She'd always been my beacon. She'd always be the yeah. first person that I phoned with good news, with bad news, like whatever it was. And for that to be gone, it was just like, boom, it's like I'd just been boom, set out into the abyss. Yeah. It unplugged me and I was just floating through. I was just like, don't know who the fuck I am anymore. Yeah. Like this is yeah. heavy, heavy shit. Yeah. Yeah. When you lose somebody, um, I use the term quantumly entangled. When somebody's always been part of your life mm. or been part of your life for a significant period, you become 
attached to a point where quite often you know what each other's thinking and mm -hmm. feeling. You're connected on another level, you know, yeah. spiritually connected. And then if that's taken away, sometimes it's the the sense of loss is is you know burly, mm -hmm. burly manageable. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and you start to think. I just want to be with them. Yeah, I've, mm. you know, I have experienced that, yeah. you know, those thoughts. And you have it in rela relationships yeah. as well. And it's, sometimes it's worse in relationships because the pierced person still exists. Yeah. And you're just like, they're just there, but I can't, you know what I mean? It's, we're, we're trying to get rid of this entanglement now, but this person still exists. Sometimes yeah. when they're dead, it's like, well, it's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> so Liam, at this stage then, you land your first film role. Yeah, so mum dies in 2007. And I got brilliant love in 2009. See, this is, this is synchronicity and alignment, but brilliant love's the name of the film. Mm -hmm. And your band that you're in, which we're going to talk about when we get to it, was called Liam Brown and the Love. Yeah. Yeah. And now, so your tag on social media is Liam Brown Love. Is it because of the film title or is it because of the music or because you just love everybody? <laughs> I think so. I think it was just like going into that realm of, I, thought, I didn't really movie. attach it to Brilliant Love ever before. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Cause that is a, that, you know, that's a, it's a beautiful name. It's like your name in your second film, Manchester. It's like, yeah, exactly. What? Exactly, yeah. You know. I'd never thought about the brilliant love thing. No, the Manchester thing had come up, but the Liam Brown and the love, I was just like looking for a name for the band and yeah. it was predominantly me and I just thought, actually, whoever else is involved, even the audience, the band, they're the love, like, I, you know, I'm yeah. what I am and they're the love that we need to... Oh, everybody needs to just yeah. be permeating love and none of the problems that exist in the world, you know, if you're exactly. coming from a heart-centred place, fearless place. Yeah. There is only love. Exactly. You know, yeah, there's yeah. only love. So the fact that that's in the title, just another another synchronicity in alignment on your yeah, journey. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally. So tell us if somebody wanted to watch this. This is your first film. Brilliant enough. Yeah. Yeah. You can watch a trailer on YouTube, on Vimeo, whatever. Um, yeah. I think there's still a website for it. But and you're the you lead could, in this. Are you? I'm the lead. Yeah. I mean, every I, I was probably I think I was probably not in six scenes. Yeah. I was in pretty much every scene. Um, and is it a feature length film? Is it's it a full feature feature length? I think it's is it ninety minutes, seventy yeah, minutes? Yeah, so full length. Yeah, it's a yeah. full length film. Um, proper proper film, like high end people working on it that yeah. worked on you know multi multi millionaire like multi million pound budgets with Jessica Alba. Like the guys had been in a film with Jessica Alba the week before, and like now he's filming me in a fucking. Yeah garage in newcastle you know what i mean <laughs> uh so it was like yeah it was pr it's proper it's beautifully beautifully shot we got just how on such a micro budget film mm. for it to premiere at tribeca was yeah. monumental like sundance wanted it we did 19 film festivals that year yeah. like we got um we were up for awards we got nominated for a Biffo, which is a British Independent Film Awards. It's the Bin Award, isn't it? The like? Bin Award, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to the, like, we, I was at the table, like the director just let me and the lead girl go and I came at a table with, um, oh, I can't remember what his name is. Some people who are big now, so it was kind of like the up and coming table. Yeah. Um, and then, but you know, fucking Colin Firth was there, Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. Um, What's the girl from Drive called? Kerry Mulligan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she was there. Recently, like it was yeah. just, it was just. I was just like, yeah. fuck. I need to take loads of MDMA 
everybody so we just got we got because at the party afterwards all the crew come and I was good mates with quite a few of them we just got twisted all the cast from The Wire were there Edris yeah. Alba was there I didn't know any of them because I'd never seen it but I'd met Edris at Tribeca yeah. um, with Andy Circus because they would they I think I can't remember what film was there Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll that you know what was the film he did about um, Ian Jury I think it was called, yeah, might have been called yeah. Sex, Drugs and yeah, Rock and Roll. It's the worst sex, drugs and rock and roll after party I've ever been to in my life. Yeah. It was a terrible party in New York. <laughs> I was like, there's a film called Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll. This party shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hobnobbing with the stars and you, you, your life's, you know, you probably feel like you're flying high at this point, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, literally. Totally, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that we got there because it was when, remember that volcano exploded and they stopped all yeah, the flying? Yeah, stopped all the planes, yeah. Like we weren't going at one point. So we were supposed to get there three days before our film premiered and three days before there was no flights. And we yeah. were like, well, we're not going. And we just had to sort of come to terms with that. And then there was a flight the, the day. The volcano was somewhere like in, I can't remember, Reykjavik or somewhere like that. Yeah, 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 something it was like in that. Iceland. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we ended up getting there on the day of the f- premiere and got yeah. to go to the premiere in, in, in Tribeca. So, yeah, I actually, I've got a friend called Neeraj Patak, or mm. Jace to say is his stage name. And he financed a movie that was shot in India. And we flew out, there's about mm. 25, 30 of us, which included some well-known actors as well, other people that we become friends with. And we shot this movie called Mumbai Charlie. Now, it's a short, it's only 20 minutes. And mm. it's on, I think it's on iTunes and various other things. But... We had loads of fun doing that. Got to travel around India. It was just mm-hmm. a wonderful experience, you know. Yeah. And I, I look back on that with really fond memories, you know. And I think that went to, I think it went to a festival. I can't remember the name of the festival. Not one of the main ones, but mm-hmm. again, it did quite well. But off the back of this, you've done your first film yeah. and you're on to your next film now. And the next film, again, you get a lot of accolade and success, don't you? Yeah, it does. It does it really does, well. It does, it does well. Um, but it was that, it was just the in-between time of like, oh, what do I do now? And I'm not, you know, the f- brilliant love hadn't been released. Nobody's seeing your work. Yeah. So you're still nobody. You go into auditions, you're still nobody. Yeah. That's the funny thing. There's always a time lapse with films. So yeah, you can yeah. make a film. Some films, it's two or three years before it, it yeah, hits yeah. the screens. And in the meantime, nobody knows you've done that film or mm. nobody's seen it. And so you're still not known. And you're doing, you you sometimes end up going back down to doing a TV advert or whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's what I was doing. I was yeah. doing little film, little little freebie jobs. Um, yeah. And I was just spending a lot of time on my allotment, actually. I was de- I was in a depression um, after the film. Like, the, the relationship with the Greek girl was kind of on and off. I was still dealing with the stuff about my mum. Yeah. Um, still trying not to drink, trying not to do drugs, but is, still doing them and not doing them. Is this all this before the second film's done, or is it? It's kind of during. Right. It's during. I'm not in a. I'm not in a good place. I'm still yeah. like. I'm wanting. I'm sort of wanting to make changes, but not knowing what. I'm experiencing depression for the first time, but not really knowing what it is. I'm taking Valium to sleep. I'm on pills. Yeah. Like I'm not taking antidepressants because I took them for about three days, and I was just like, "What? Uh, this yeah, man?" Bad, isn't it? I was on Zopical oh. for years and sleeping tablets, but really, really bad side effects: depression. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he came off them, three months of sweats, not sleeping, yeah, yeah. nightmares, are horrific. Yeah, something yeah. told me just not to go on them. Yeah, like, yeah. But it was, I was yeah. just not sleeping. I was not in a yeah. good, not in a good place. I think 
a sign where you've got an issue is when you, you well you're partying a lot, for example, like I was, and then the partying creeps onto weeknights. Mm. Then it sometimes creeps into days. I, the re- the longest I went out was seven days. I went seven days with no sleep. Mm. You know, yeah. I had different crowds of people so that I could party. They'd all go to bed. I'd know where the next lot were, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I could move between them and maintain it for seven days. This, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and and you know it's bad when you then need different pharmaceuticals and drugs to help you put yourself back to normal again, mm-hmm. you know. So your diazepams and your Valium and all yeah, these yeah, things, yeah. and they become daily as well, and it gets mm-hmm. messy. Just constantly up, yeah. like on something. Up, down, up, down, up, down, no sleep, yeah, yeah. you know. It's eventually going to f- fuck you. It's a sure path to uh, a road to problems, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or a road to waking up. Yeah, well, <laughs> as we know, the problems are then, you either you either die or you figure them out and you wake up. Exactly, so. exactly. So this is, you're in, and you know what she's saying, you're depressed then and you start to think about suicide, mm-hmm. you know. So this is, you know, i talked about it on the show before. I, I've been suicidal on more yeah, than one yeah. occasion. I'd like to think I'll never go there again, but you never know what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. You don't know. In mental health, it's people think you're fixed and then it's okay and it's not. You just mm-hmm. develop a skill set and tools to recognise the signs when you're veering off and put yourself mm-hmm. back together again a bit more quickly, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and it's developing that. Because I still, I have predominantly good days, but I still have some not good days. Mm-hmm. But I know the signs, I think, okay, what am I doing wrong here? What's going wrong? Yeah, yeah. And it's usually either I'm focusing on something that's making me very unhappy mm-hmm. or maybe I'm making some bad decisions. And I recognise those signs and I now know how to try and get myself back on track quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, rather than it spiraling out of yeah, control for three or four years, it's like, right, you can I... Just off, you need to catch it quick. Yeah, yeah. You know, because otherwise yeah. you get to a certain point and then the tools don't work, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, you don't, I don't want to have to learn some of the lessons I've learned already. I'd like to, you know, learn from some of the things that have happened to me. Yeah, you, yeah. Know? you mentioned in your notes, Liam, God... And yes. I'll read you what you put, but the concept of God or a higher power came into my life. So when I write, certainly in the first book from Pills to Peace, I talk about God, mm-hmm. but it's not a guy with a beard sat on a cloud. Mm-hmm. It's the universal force, you know, yeah, this yeah. this energy, what we're all connected with. You can call it mm-hmm. lots of things, the zero point field, whatever you yeah, want to call yeah. it. But when you mention God, what's God to you? Just infinite awareness, like source energy, yeah, great spirit, um, the creator, um, yeah. this, what, what an aspect, what we're all an aspect of. We're just having an experience and when we die, we'll, we'll return to that, yeah. return to that space so to good. have infinite possibility and infinite awareness again. And we're just, um, maybe we choose another one point of focus yeah. and one point of concentration, Brilliant. one point of frequency. And that's what I am right now in this body is I'm a point of awareness and attention inside living this experience as Mancuni and Liam Brown, you know, yeah. who's six foot. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And enjoy it. It's a computer game. Have a good time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I asked you that question because that's the kind of answer I was expecting mm-hmm. because God, for me, I was brought up a Catholic and God's not in a church, you know, and he's not mm-hmm. in a building and he doesn't wear a white collar and, I'm, I'm not a Catholic. I was brought up a Catholic, mm. but I'm not a Catholic and I don't want burying in the ground either. You know? well, that's what the powers that be always want to separate us, to make sure we have to go through somebody to get what we want, mm. to get a connection. Even our electricity, our heating in our home, yeah. for it to be centrally 
powered. You well, know what I mean? We, we can we can create our own warmth. Yeah. Like we can create our own connection to God. We're you're the only person yeah. you can't go. Why do you want to go through that guy? They want to be a mediator. Yeah. You know, this person who, because that's how you get control and power. It is all about we, control, we want yeah. direct access and it's there. We don't need a third party. Yeah, but the, the problem is with hu- with lots of humans is they want somebody else to tell them, what should I do? You tell me, you know, hand the power over. Tell me what I need to do. Yeah. You know I mean, it's the gurus inside you. Like, you've just got to, yeah, go and, go and experience other teachers and other perspectives yeah, and yeah. wise people that might wake you up. But, you know, yeah. it's like, what what leader do you know in the world that you would go, that's a really yeah. amazing person. Right. No, well, no, Nobody. that's an amazing person who's been on a journey that you want to listen to and that you value them and who's an enriched, empowered, awakened soul. I don't know anybody that's in power in the world that is any of those things that I would have no, any respect no. for as a human who seems like the heart-centred and coming from a space yeah. of love. I, I think there's a couple of enlightened beings that are alive today. Oh, right? totally, yeah, yeah. And but so, I'm talking about people in places of power. Yeah, oh, exactly, right. For instance, Sadhguru we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and I think he's an enlightened being. But if, by definition, if you want to be in a position of power generally, then you're a certain kind of person and you're prepared to do anything to get there. Yeah. And that means your motivations are compromised. Mm-hmm. I do not know, I can't name a single politician that I don't think is corrupt in yeah, some way. Yeah. You know, that might be a bold statement. It means they're making bad decisions or they're making decisions not for the general good of people, but for financial bias, gain, yeah. you know. In this country, we do, we're supposed to have something called a conflict of interest, but you mm. go to America, it doesn't exist. And all the people that are mm. in the Senate, you know, and congressmen, they all, they're all the directors of all the companies that yeah, are part yeah. of the war machine. That's that what I mean. Do. Over here, it's hidden and it yeah. happens, but over there, it's just yeah, blatant. There you go. Yeah, yeah. How <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Yeah, Dick Cheney is, <laughs> you know, a big shareholder in Halliburton or Halberton, and these companies are making food and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. uniforms for the troops and going to ones. They're all profiting out of war. They mm-hmm. reckon if if the war machine was to collapse, two thirds of the Western world would go bankrupt mm-hmm. because that's how they make the money. You know, that'd be good then, wouldn't it? Like, mm. Because people have that threat of bankruptcy, but from the bankruptcy yeah. will come something beautiful. Like the you know the lotus yeah. flower bubbles out of the shit. It's like oh, we can't let go of these corrupt you know industries that are ruining the planet, that are ruining the world because the because the economy will crash. The economy's corrupt. The economy's fucked. Yeah. Let it crash. Yeah. It should have crashed in 2008. Like yeah. the whole thing shouldn't exist right now. Yeah. Like so just let it, does, it no. organically dissolve. Oh, but what are we going to do? Something will come up. Something more beautiful will arise. Yeah. What's going on in the world at the moment? Something more beautiful will arise. Yeah. Stay positive. And I say regularly that the material possessions that we all value so highly, you need food and shelter and mm-hmm. other human beings. You know, yeah, exactly. Beyond that, everything else, the happiest people don't have them, mm. you know, as we've said. So, now we'll get into, and we'll come to your book. So, so far, it's all your journey up to this point, and your book's called Dealer to Healer. And yeah. It's called Dealer to Healer because of this next part of your story where you get, you get nicked. Yeah. Yeah, so I... Going through that from like 2007 to 2011, like being depressed, wanting to commit suicide, questioning everything, like being a Mancunian, like 
going to counsellors like wasn't a thing like that was a southern thing for southern softies that drank shandy and shit yeah. you know what I mean for for to even admit of having depression of having mental health problems wasn't it was yeah. just I was, was just I felt toxic I felt disgusting every day I wasn't sleeping I had this conveyor belt of thoughts about my past my present and my future that were just horrific there was no positivity that I could see in mm. any of my behaviours um, and I'd stopped kind of stopped selling drugs because when my mum died I started feeling that she was could see me when she lived in Gatley in South Manchester she couldn't see what I was up to in London when I was selling drugs when I was womanising and basically when she died I felt like I was being observed I felt like I was being watched I was, felt like I was ha having to, wanted to change things and I didn't quite know how to do it yeah. and I was in a really bad place I was crying all the time, like my girlfriends would, I'd be crying and they'd be like, I don't want to be in a relationship with someone that's crying. I'm like, I can't stop it. Like yeah. it's just coming out all the time. And anyway, because my life felt so bad, I was trying to bring things back into my life that I felt used to make me happy. So having loads of money, loads of women, I was like, that makes me happy. So I started selling drugs again, bought a load of drugs, yeah. started selling them, but I wasn't in them. I wasn't in that world as much anymore. Yeah. So it was more difficult. It wasn't, I didn't want to go out because when I went out, I was felt like I wanted to die for four days afterwards because I was so emotional about my mother. Yeah. So, and it, it brought it home and I didn't want to experience that. So I was trying to live a little bit more cleanly. Um, and then basically I went on a date with a girl off a website. Um, and I had- What was the website? mysinglefriend.com actually um, my mate put me on it because he wanted me to write him a write him a profile um, and it was just I'd never been on one before and it was like no. wow that's well easy I, get, I can go out with a girl without going out and getting off my tits I can just go and meet her do yeah. you know what I mean and we can do the thing that I'm going out to get which is to go out to get and have sex with a girl That's that was my one of my intentions when I'd go partying was I want to go out have a good time but I want to go home with someone and have sex with them yeah. do you know what I mean for a day and that and with, with the websites, like, I don't have to go and get leathered. I can just do the nice bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which was, was still just ego, just not being in my physical body, seeking gratification outside yeah. of it. Um, anyway, went on the date with this girl. I had 50 pills in my pocket because I'd been to see my mate and dropped a couple off. I took a pill. Go into this just pub, local pub. And yeah. these bouncers on, and I, you know, going loads of pubs all the time with drugs on me. Never, never get searched. Get searched. Fifty. What are these for? You're gonna sell these in here. Never been in here before, mate. Don't know this place. Anyway, yeah. they call the police for some reason. I could have got away. I could have ran away. I just froze. I was just static. Yeah. It was like because that's I surrendered to something. Ringing the police is unusual because normally they just keep them and exactly, say on your yeah. way. But so, it was when I look back. Everything happened how it was supposed to happen. The girl was on the on the step outside. The police come and then they decide to make a run for it. And then there's like three police fans and there's this scuffle. I get pinned to the floor, like bleeding, get dragged into the back of the van. See the girl out of the corner of my eye, give her a wink. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. getting dragged Looking into good. the van. Yeah. Like, yeah, how cool are you? Too Could there be a worse first date ever in the history of first dates? And I was like thinking, if I get away, I can still text her, get her back to my house and we can still, you know, it was, it was on. And uh, no, I end up in, end up in a cell the whole night coming up high off this pill. 
Um, not a good place to be in a cell when you're off your Not a good it? place. Next, the, the the officer comes in in the morning. The who's been assigned to the case, asking me questions did where I live. Did they search you? Rubber glove you? No, I didn't rubber no. glove me, fortunately. You know, they'd taken the 50 pills, but then he's asking me for yeah. my address and I'm blagging him that I still live in Manchester, that I'm just up here on holiday, yeah. not for a weekend. Um, and he's like, no, you're not. You told us your address. And for some reason, the third time he comes in, I just give him my address. Do not know why. Would never have done that at any other point in my life. Give him my address know that they're going to search my house and find another 900. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was it. And got, got intent to supply, um, possession, both on two counts. Oh no, I think intent to supply on one count, possession of 40, possession of 900. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I blagged them that I was addicted to drugs and addicted to pills and that it was, I had, you know, it saved me money if I bought a lot, yeah, which yeah. bollocks. I think you can get to a point if you've been arrested, like you give up. There's it's no like fight left it. in you. Yeah. And you just, yeah, okay, yeah, I did it, whatever. And you just don't mm. even like, you're not smart about it. You've just lost the will to fight it. Well, when you're ready to let go of your life, I think yeah, you are. Like, exactly. uh, There was no other point in my life where I would have been willing to do that. Yeah. But I started going to counselling. I started seeing this drugs worker to get my case so that I was... It, it was seen that I was a drug addict, that I was addicted to these things. So I started going to NA meetings, AA meetings, um, anything with a fucking second letter as an A as the acronym, you know what I mean? It was like, I was just and presented to this whole new world and the concept of God come up for the first time. And I remember being at a meeting with all these like pretty rude boy London gangsters, yeah. you know, gold teeth and that. And like, they start talking about God at the end and I'm like, whoa, yeah. God. It, it really? is, there's a strong God. It's yeah, yeah. one of the central themes with the AA, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then one of the big gangster lads comes up to me and he goes, it's, you know, God's just whatever you want it to be. If it's your mum who's died or the universe or the stars, whatever, don't have to, just don't think about it as God. Just yeah. use it as something else. Use it as a tool, as a higher power. It's yeah. like noting there's a higher power that you're just this little thing, that there's something more intelligent operating this whole thing mm. and hand your power over to that and say, I ain't doing a very good job of this now. Yeah. Can you help me out? Mm. You know what I mean? Like the serenity prayer and everything yeah. is just like so powerful. Yeah. So just get down on your knees and say that prayer. I tell pe certain people come to my events and I'm like, you need to say the serenity prayer every day. Yeah. That's what you need to say right now. You know what I mean? And especially at the moment as well, what, what's going on in the world, say the serenity prayer. You know what I mean? I was I was angry. My mum, before she died, she said, you were, an, you was an angry little boy. Now you're an angry young man. I was angry at everything. I was kicking yeah, off all the time. I was angry. Train was late. I'd kick off with the instructor, you know, the conductor, the driver, anybody who was working in the place. My girlfriend would get it. You know what I mean? It was I just like, everyone I, would get it all the time. I beat a guy up in a petrol station when I went into pay because he didn't say thank you. That That's, that's what it was. I was angry. Yeah. You know, I didn't, and I thought it was justified at the time. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. You're thinking everything, everything's against you where you're creating that whole environment. Yeah, yeah. But at the time you can't see it. But then it's like, you go through the 12 steps. It's a cognitive process. It's fucking heavy. It's, it's horrible. It's uncomfortable, but it's yeah. cognitive. Yeah. It's Buddhist. You, you realise when, when you start reading Buddhist books, you go, oh, I've read this in the 12 steps. Oh, yeah. they've took this from Buddhism because yeah. Buddhism was around before the 12 yeah. steps. A few thousand you're like, years before. Wow. You're like, wow. They just regurgitated it in a way that how is is supporting so many 
hundreds of thousands of people all over the world that have got problems of addiction. For me, the 12 steps is something that you should do when you're 21, 22. Yeah. Eradicate all the hatred you've got for people, all the fear you've got for people. Start taking responsibility for your part in all them things because we yeah. don't take responsibility for our own part a lot of the time. It's like, oh, he did that to me. Or my stepdad was like that. Or yeah. my brother was like that. You know what I mean? Well, what were you like? Mm. And then again, take it even further. Look above what can you observe about you both as a third person that's got no bias in any of them situations? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're supposed to love each other at the end of the day. Yeah. Perspective. Sometimes the further away you stand from something, you gain the bigger picture, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. you know? And sometimes that takes a bit of time as well. And practice and commitment, you know yeah. what I mean? I know you say it's probably the worst day you've ever been on, but I went on a date and I took a girl out and I picked her up and we'd been in the car two minutes. We were going to go to the cinema and as I pulled to the junction, just got to the end of the street, pulled to the junction on the right, I could see a guy at the bottom of the street kicking a dog, right? And I thought, I, I can't let this go, you know? So I left the car with the engine running, parked to the junction and a major junction. All these other cars started backing up. I ran down the road to get this guy and I thought, I'm going to fill him in. And when I got there, I realised there was another dog that had been his dog. And he was trying to get the other dog off his dog. And this dog was um, a nasty dog. And it was with some, like, you know, mm -hmm. perhaps trained to do that. I don't know. But there was, and the, his dog was a Labrador. And there was blood everywhere. So I then end up on my knees wrestling, trying to get this other dog, prizing its jaws open with my hands. The police pull up. They taser the dog. I'm still wrestling with this first dog. As they taser the dog, it shits itself. And the shit goes all over me. <laughs> I've got blood on my face. I'm covered in dog shit. I ran back up to the car. She's crying. There's 12 cars behind her at the junction. I didn't know all this was going on. And she sat in front seat crying. And I said, Winter. All right, love, I just have to get changed. So uh, she said, uh, you know, just turn around and drop me off. <laughs> so I didn't make it off the end of the road. <laughs> that was amazing. I know, so that was, uh, that was a bad one. That was brilliant. Did you ever see her again? No, <laughs> not, no. I've, I've seen her since, but definitely not as a, on a date. So yeah. we, we didn't even make it off a street, you know. I never spoke to that girl ever again because no, no. I, I, they had me phone for like four months until I got it back. And then I was like, I don't think I should send her a text of apology. Should I just, just leave Sometimes that? it just feeds yeah, it, just, you know what I say? Yeah. I wonder if she tells that story though, you know what I mean? You wonder if they tell them stories yeah. like... <laughs> I, I say in the... The book, a quote, there's a couple of quotes. One is, um, what you focus on, you feed and move towards it. So no matter what it is, if you give it your attention, mm -hmm. you're feeding it. And like a car, when you're driving down the motorway and you look out the window, you start, you drift towards yeah, it. Yeah. So you've got to be very careful what you focus on. When attention you... goes, energy flows. Exactly, yeah. And I was also, when you were talking before, there's a quote in my book and it says, you've got to try the 10 to find the two. And you were talking mm -hmm. about finding somebody that, you know, people with wisdom and you've got to try loads of stuff to find what's going to work for you. Mm. A lot of it won't work for you and that's yeah, fine. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. And it's even different for the same person at different periods in their life. So what worked yeah, for me yeah, five yeah. years ago might not work for me now, yeah, yeah, yeah. but 
if you don't try all this stuff, the door's got to stay wide open. You've got to mm. try new shit and you've got to yeah, do it all yeah. the time. And if you don't, you'll become stagnant and you won't have energy flowing through your universal mm. energy and you won't find the things that are going to work for you. If, if it's a gong yeah. bath of meditation, you might need to try skydiving, scuba diving, exactly, yeah. um, ultra running, and then you think, okay, maybe not. And yeah. then you'll, you'll try guided meditation mm. and Buddhist meditation and to find what you want. Um, you've got to be prepared to try many roads, haven't you, and do mm. new stuff. You know? Yeah, and that's what that's what I was. But like with my, you know, I think one of the things in my, one of the taglines in my book is, you know, I was so depressed and suicidal. I was like, right, you've got three years, because I wasn't gonna. I was like, I'm not gonna be one of them people who's suicidal for the rest of your life. I'm gonna commit suicide, yeah. or I'm gonna sort my shit out. Yeah. I was like going to counselling things and listening to women who'd been su like suicidal for 35 years. I'm thinking. I just kill myself. That sounds like a shit life. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'm not, not doing that. I feel disgusting. Why would I want to feel that for the re yeah. for that long? I'm just going to do it or I'm going to sort it out. I'm not going to be a shit house. It, it's funny. See, when I first became suicidal, a period in my life many years ago, I was an emotional wreck. Second time, similar. But the last time I was suicidal, I approached it very calm and logically. And I thought, mm. simple question. Um, is the suffering in this life worse than ending it? You know, mm -hmm. and I believe that you know this is just uh, this is just part of our journey, and that there's many other realms, and that when nobody ever dies, when you close mm -hmm. your eyes, this your true essence, your true nature, what is you, never dies. Yeah, you just exactly. move through different realms, yeah, yeah. and so I can approach it quite logically and just think, okay, and just do the math and think, do I actually want to be alive? Mm -hmm. And that kind of a logical manner, without all the tears and the fuss. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but I've I've learned to desensitise a little bit from it, and it's not happened for a while. But yeah, even becoming suicidal can be a different experience if you've done it more than once. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. not always the same because we're never the same person for more than a brief moment. Mm -hmm. We're constantly changing, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I think it's like, what's this pushing me towards? Because there's something that's not quite working in my life things are that uncomfortable that they've brought to my attention this much like hammering on my head yeah. you know what I mean you're going to either kill yourself like soon or you need to make some changes because this isn't working for yeah, you yeah. and it's like okay yeah right and then you start looking and you start trying and you start listening and you start praying you know what I mean and then it's like look then things start happening and the magic starts yeah. happening you become more aware of the magic that's and there as soon as you start to experience a little bit of joy and bliss even a very small amount or a little mm. bit of inner peace then things, the the wheels and cogs of the universe start falling into place and mm. you'll meet that person that you've needed to meet that's going to tell you something you needed to hear. Mm. You'll experience synchronicity and alignment and you, as long as you can see the light, no matter how small, you can start moving towards it. Yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. you've got to be able to, there's got to be some hope, something, you know, mm. you need something, something worthwhile, some purpose, some some goal. <laughs> 